on the field and inside the clubhouse. This is Brewers Extra Innings. Now broadcasting live from American Family Field, here's Matt Foley. one nothing. Brewers get the win. Just fantastic pitching today. Three pitchers combined for a two-hit shutout. 16 total strikeouts. Freddie Peralta has 10 of them. And then Devin Williams and Josh Hader absolutely dominant in their innings as they each uh, get all three of their outs via the strikeouts, each facing just three batters and striking out all three of them. This is... uh, this is a special performance from this Brewers pitching staff today. And while well, while the Brewers don't have to win games by a one nothing score, this is the basic equation for the Brewers to win a lot of games this year. Get really good pitching, make sure your starter pitches at least through six, and then do just enough offensively. And they literally do just enough offensively. A Hunter Renfro double, he gets to third, moves to and uh, scores on a wild pitch and that's all the scoring that they needed as they pick up the one nothing win opening up the series against the Braves. My name is Matt Pauley. Vinny Rotino is going to be joining us in just a few moments. If you want to join in on the program, you can do so by calling or texting the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line 855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620. Or you can tweet at me if you'd like, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. The Brewers get the one nothing win tonight over Atlanta. Vinny Rotino joins me next as we continue to go back through the game. That's next here on WTMJ. Brewers Extra Innings with Matt Foley on WTMJ. one nothing. Brewers get the win over the Braves. Welcome back into Brewers Extra Innings here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley coming your way from American Family Field. Let's bring in Vinny Rotino after this uh, just dominating pitching performance from the Brewers today where 16 total strikeouts between Freddie Peralta, Devin Williams, and Josh Hader. They give up just two hits and the strikeout rate kind of imp- it, it went up as the game went along of the final 17 uh, batters for the Braves. They were all all retired, and 13 of them were retired via the strikeout. Vinny, it's hard to put words around this one. This was an incredible pitching performance from the Brewers. Yeah, I mean, and I think it all starts with Freddie Peralta obviously going seven strong. Only gives up two hits, one walk. I mean, he's really just maturing before our eyes as a pitcher. He had a couple of rough outings at the beginning of the year. I think they had some delivery issues. They kind of worked out some of the kinks. I know Carlos Villanueva helped him with helping out with us, working some of those kinks out. But now he is just absolutely putting the ball where he wants with that really deceptive fastball. Uh, He's up to 96 today, but, I mean, pitching 92-93. And then he was locating the slider as well. So that's obviously a big sign for Freddie Peralta in in order for him to keep hitters off off balance. And then how good Devin Williams and Josh Hader were. They both struck out the side. I mean, what an impressive performance. I mean, we've come to know this from Josh Hader. We almost, like – you know, he's kind of get bored with how many people he strikes out. Uh, but then Devin Williams to come on strong like that and, and get three strikeouts, I believe all were with the fastball. So that's um, that's a really good sign for him, really using that fastball and getting guys off that changeup. The usage numbers for Peralta are interesting. He threw his fastball about half the time today, got seven swings and misses. He throws his slider about 35% of the time. 
also gets seven swings and misses. So those two pitches were his bread and butter. And then he just every once in a while would throw, would you know throw in a curveball, throw in a changeup, if nothing else, just to keep everybody honest. But this was really a one-two attack between that four-seamer and the slider, it seemed like. Yeah, it, it really was. And that's what he's able to do now with the ability to land the slider for strikes. I mean, 25 strikes out of those 35 sliders that he did throw. So, And I know some of those are, like you said, were swings and misses out of the zone too. So, I mean, it, it's just I can't even – I don't even really remember facing a guy like Freddie Peralta in my minor league career. And if I did, I don't think he would have been a starter knowing what what – you know, pitching labs and data and analytics teams know now, I think they understand like a guy like Freddie Peralta with that one pitch as he came up, I think he would have always stayed a reliever for his entire the entirety of his career before all the data and analytics came along. Now they have the pitching lab and the data to show like, okay, we can actually teach him how to throw a really sweeping slider. And so that gets those guys off of that fastball. And now he just pitches with those two pitches basically. And like you said, sprinkles in an occasional changeup. He's gone away from the changeup from what he was doing earlier in the year, which I'm glad. This is a much more effective version of Freddie Peralta throwing only eight changeups tonight. But um, yeah, I think it's interesting that the data analytics certainly has in the in the pitching lab and everything, all the science and technology that goes into to baseball, believe it or not, it, it is allowing Freddie Peralta to really dominate as a starting pitcher. I don't think we would have seen that as early. I mean, as uh, recent as like you know five to ten years ago. Got an interesting tweet from at Brew Crew Scott. You had brought up that maybe Devin Williams had been tipping his pitches. And the tweet says, does tonight's outing confirm that indeed Devin had been tipping his pitches? I have a hard time answering that, so I'll ask you. I mean, does, has anything changed in terms of that, do you think? Um, I think they, you know, I don't know. I, if the, I, I did I did kind of reach out again to Carlos Villanueva. He and I are good friends, so we talk all the time. And I did mention to him that maybe, you know, I'd sent him two pictures of one. This was earlier much earlier in the season where you know one was the change up and he was holding his and he was setting with his glove really really high and then with the fastballs a little bit lower it could have been vice versa i don't know if i was the one that addressed that and it told carlos i they got people that look at this and so i'm sure that they may have addressed something i do notice that he is kind of coming set with both pitches in the same spot now, or close to it, as close as you can. Sometimes when you get in the heat of the moment, you do see a little bit of discrepancy between the two pitches where you're coming set. But, again, I don't think I did anything, but I do notice that he's not tipping pitches anymore. That that has to be, in my opinion, something that is, is you know, not making him as easy to kind of sit on one or the other. How challenging is that as a pitcher to – fix those things but not be concentrating on them because if you concentrate on your glove position you're probably not going to throw your pitch where you want it to go no i mean that's exactly right matt i mean it's 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 i never pitched but i gotta imagine as a catcher i would notice that you know kind of get in the minds of pitchers at times it it is 
probably incredibly difficult, especially with stressful pitches and when the game's on the line. It, it'd probably be easy to do with no one on or two outs, runner on first, something like that, where you can kind of focus on coming set with your glove in the same spot. But this all has to be done in the bullpen. You have to kind of practice it. And in flat ground work, I know that Chris Hook is huge on the throwing programs that these guys do and the flat ground work that these guys do. That all has to be kind of worked through at that time. During, in the heat of the moment, especially in a big league baseball game, um, when things have been snowballing on you like they had with Devin Williams at the beginning of this year and even times lately, um, to, to try and focus on something like that, very, very difficult. Yeah, it's, I think it's now 10 of 11 of his at last outings have been scoreless. So we, we made a big deal about that one night. And I say we just in the collect. I, I don't think I made a big deal of it. I thought he was going to be fine because he was coming off eight consecutive outings. But the, the listeners, the tweeters, the texters, they were making a big deal of it that night. And Devin Williams is human. I, I'm very comfortable with what he has done this season, and I have a lot of confidence in him coming out every night. I mean, to me, th- there's there's nothing residual lasting from last year and the injury. There's it doesn't feel like he's taken a step back or anything. He's just the guy that he's he's been, just a dominant guy you can throw in the eighth inning, and more often than not, he's going to take care of business. Yeah, and I think what. It, it, I fall guilty of this too. I think we're we're so spoiled with Josh Hader that we expect everyone to come out of the pen and just blow everyone away with 99 mile hour fastballs and never have any kind of issue with getting out of jams or anything like that, like Josh Hader does. I mean, we are totally spoiled with him as the closer. And so when you get a guy like Devin Williams who has been as dominant as some of the top arms in the bullpen around the league – and then he, he struggles at times. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're starting to grasp at straws a little bit because, you know, it, so g- good for you, Matt, to talk me down from the ledge at times because that 40-pitch outing the other night, I was like, what is going on? I do think it's important for him to get out one, right? So when he gets out number one, he, he just kind of cruises through outings. It gives him a little sense of confidence, allows him to settle in. And so if he gets that first guy out, I think he's a different guy. This this game is the basic equation for the way the Brewers are going to win a lot of their games this year and the way that they could go win a lot of games in the postseason and have a deep run. The pitching gives you at least six innings, so you can go to the combination of Boxberger, Williams, and Hayter. They didn't need Boxberger tonight because Peralta gave you seven, but get at least six from the starter, do just enough offensively, find a way to scratch across a run or two or three, and they're an offense that can do more than that, but they're not always going to do more than that. You don't have to have a great offensive night if you can just push across a run or two and have the kind of pitching. Now, I'm not saying they're going to have a two-hit shutout with 16 strikeouts every single time. But for me, this is kind of the blueprint of the way the Brewers need to win a lot of their games this year. Yeah, and I think that the front office kind of designed this team to be, when we talked about this a lot, a run prevention first team. And so what what does that mean? It means pitching and defense. I mean, you can name it whatever you want, but this is for the past 100 years, you know, you win – Pennants, you win ball a lot of ball games with really good pitching and really good defense. The Brewers have that um, clearly, and they've had that 
dating back to last year and even 2020. And so they are going to win a lot of ball games, just like you said, in this fashion. Boxberger, everyone has a lot of trust in him. Devin Williams, a lot of trust in him. Obviously, Josh Hader's been historically good, so a ton of trust in him. So if the starters can get through five or six, then yes, you can hand it over to those guys, and you should win the majority of the games. I think the Brewers' record, if they're leading after six since 2020, is 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 like 89 and 11 or, or even 90. It's, it's something really crazy, and so um, – yeah, so I, I think if they continue just to really sprinkle in some offense, I do think they might want to just toy with the idea of adding another bullpen arm. And I talk about Hunter Strickland a lot. I'm not talking about specifically Hunter Strickland. I'm talking about the fact that you get a veteran guy like him, like they did last year, who you know is due for maybe a bounce-back performance or something like that. And the Brewers can certainly tap into those guys, and they've had a pretty good history lately of tapping into those guys like a Brad Boxberger. I think that's going to be a, a kind of a key addition at some point during the season yeah they i mean oh since david stearns has been here he's gotten those guys whether it's anthony swarzak drew pomerantz jordan lyles joaquin soria i'm I'm, you know those are just the names that pop off at the top of my head and i'm sure there's many more all those guys that i just mentioned have pitched some really big innings for the brewers and and i'm i we agree 100 they need another guy like that yeah, I mean, you can go to, you know, even Jacob Barnes. I know he was a homegrown guy. And, um, yeah, they, they're going to – they're I'm sure that they're, they're you know, kind of looking at some names right now um, throughout the league, and I'm sure they're having conversations. I would love to be a fly on the wall in those conversations. I'm pretty sure those conversations happen a lot more than you and I think they happen. Even though I was in a front office at one point working as a scout, I, I wasn't privy to any of those conversations. They keep everything so tight-lipped, but – I'm sure those conversations are being had. Maybe you and I can can dig in our on our own and have uh, maybe come up with some names on our own at some point during one of these shows. But um, I definitely think they're going to probably add someone. One nothing. The Brewers get the win against Atlanta. We'll take a break for the news, and then Vinny and myself will be back with more Brewers extra innings after that here on WTMJ. It's Brewers extra innings with Matt Falling. Brewers get the one nothing win tonight over the Atlanta Braves. Brewers extra innings continues. My name is Matt Pauley, live at American Family Field. Vinny Rotino joining me as well. If you want to join us, you can do so by calling or texting the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and text line 855-616-1620, or you could tweet into the program at Matt Pauley on air. Text messages from the 414 said, what was with that argued double play? It seemed pretty cut and dry. Vinny, I, the umpires actually messed that call up, and, and it was originally what actually happened was that ball was caught. It did not bounce on the ground. The bounce happened inside of the glove. So the reason the umpires thought it hit the ground was because there was a bounce, but the bounce happened inside the glove. So when the throw to first occurs because it was caught, as long as the lead runner gets back into first base, the lead runner is going to be safe. Now, if the ball had hit the ground first and then caught, when you throw over to first, you get the um, you're able to get the the batter at you know running down the line so that's what they said the play was and unfortunately Vinny that's a play that's on the infield so because of the way the instant replay rules are written you can't 
challenge that call, even though it's a blatant catch-no-catch call, simply because it happens on the infield, which makes zero sense. It makes... Yeah, it makes zero sense. I don't understand that, why you can't review that play. Um, I, I did watch the replay a couple of times. There's a couple cool websites that we on the broadcast team have access to, and I'm actually watching Colton Wong like totally, totally slow down on that and almost come to a stop. I mean, I don't think it would have been a double play if you'd have been running all the way through the bag, but your instincts on that are to – to just kind of like peel off because you think the the fielder is going to catch that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. They should be able to review that. Do you think? I, I'll ask you now, Matt. I, I don't know if there was enough evidence in the replay to sh- to overturn that. It does certainly look like it bounced in the glove. I'm with you on that, it, which is weird because the glove's on the ground, but yet the ball still bounces in the glove because it's the fact that it's kind of still a hard service to bounce off of because the glove is on the ground. But I'm just curious if there's enough evidence, in your opinion, to have overturned that call. I think it's 50-50 because you're right. Yeah. I mean, it, because it looks so funky, I'm sure the umpires in New York don't want to uh, – would have been hesitant to overturn it, but it still should have gone to replay. I, I, and here's the thing. I think they should let the fans vote or something. Like, what is the most <laughs> common sense call here? And they take a take a five second replay and take a vote. <laughs> obviously, obviously not at your home park. You'd have to have some like let let the neutral fans that are watching out there like vote on the call. I don't know. So, because yes, I it looked like it bounced within the glove. No one would have really been that upset if that was the call that was overturned because it bounced in the glove. But you can't even review it for one. And then, um, yeah, they got to fix. They still have to fix this. All, all we're getting, I'll just be be candid on this. Like all we're the only thing that's different at this point about the replay is that they're just telling us what's going on. They're still taking. I, I say it's a little bit quicker in coming up with decisions, but they're still taking some time with it. They're still getting calls wrong because there's not enough quote-unquote evidence. So I get it, but, like, I don't know. They still got to fix it. Let's grab a phone call. Austin and Madison has called. Austin, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Matt. I was at the game tonight just wondering, looking at the scoreboard and seeing Lorenzo paying stats for a guy we're paying $18 million for. I'm just wondering when you think maybe it's time to take a – Look at our options at center field. I know there was a not so credible report on Twitter this week, but we're looking at Andrew Bettini from Kansas City. I was thinking maybe Keston Hero would be a good trade option there. I just we're not getting much out of center field offensively, and I think that's kind of a weak spot of the lineup last night. It's been the weak spot of the lineup this year. Wondering your thoughts. Yeah, Austin, I appreciate the phone call. The, Tyrone Taylor is going to continue to get more and more playing time. I think uh, he was in left field today as Christian Yelich got the start as the DH. Vinny, it's a really tough spot they're in right now with Lorenzo Kane because even if he becomes a fourth outfielder where Tyrone Taylor is getting the majority of time, as good as he is defensively, it's it's tough when he's hitting 180, 190. It just, it's, uh, he's not doing enough right now. He's still so good in center, and I get this argument, and it's a, that was a really good, well, well thought out question and, and opinion about Lorenzo Cain and about maybe some other trade options out there. I, I, I just think he's such a good defensive center fielder. You cannot find that anywhere. I mean, we think Tyrone Taylor is a pretty good center fielder, and he's okay. 
but he's not Lorenzo Cain. I can I can name you a few balls that are just coming off the top of my head that he's he, Tyrone Taylor's just not getting to, and it's just a matter of Lorenzo Cain just has a knack for for the reads off of the bat, the jumps, the routes, and then he's still super fast. So I think you gotta you gotta just kind of play him sparingly, pick your spots. You gotta hit tonight. Um, but I, I'm with you. The bat looks slower. He's not going to give you much punch offensively anymore. But he's a team leader and he plays really good defense. If you can, if you can replace him and find a trade for a player that can give you the same kind of defense, Dominic Catronio and I talked about this the other day, and um, just off the air or whatever, not on a podcast or anything. But he he talked about Ramon Laureano. What a great name! That guy really plays center field. Uh, he he's coming off of of a PED suspension, but this is a guy. He's got four years of control left. He plays a really good center field. He's got a cannon for an arm. Uh, he's he's a, a grinder, winning type player. The Brewer it would fit nicely with the Brewers, um, and he's and he's got some sock in that bat. So maybe that's a name. One nothing. The Brewers get the win over the Braves. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll hear the postgame comments of manager Craig Council. That's next here on WTMJ. This is Brewers Extra Innings on WTMJ. One nothing. The Brewers get the win over the Atlanta Braves tonight. Just amazing pitching as. Freddie Peralta, Devin Williams, and Josh Hader throw a two-hit shutout. They combine for 16 strikeouts. And as you might expect, Manager Craig Council meeting with the media just a little while ago opened up talking about the pitching today. We pitched really well tonight. Um, two, two back guys were, were, were just lights out. Um, and Freddie was, Freddie was great tonight. I thought he just he got locked in. And um, you know, it was really... It was really you know, for seven innings, just it was even, smooth. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't get into trouble. The first inning was really the, you know, after after two quick outs, um, you know, as much trouble as he was in, really. Craig Price had a few good starts now in a row, four or five actually. Um, has there been any like common themes um, for him during this run? Um, I mean, I think. Yeah, Freddie's a good pitcher, um, and, and you know a couple couple uneven starts at the beginning, but his I think he's kind of reined in his breaking ball a little better here, um, and that out that's you know just the kind of the equalizer with with evening out um, you know making this makes his fastball better, um, and his breaking ball has just been competitive a lot, and, and that I thought some some early starts he just kind of missed a lot missed by pretty good margin with his breaking ball and kind of free pitches almost for hitters um and there's there's none of that anymore for Devin to have three strikeouts on the fastball is that a good sign for him well yeah that that's what I think you know the league is kind of trying to make an adjustment to Devin which is which makes sense um and, and and I think it shows Devin and shows all of us that that that's that's a key for him. Is that the fastball is a key for him? Um, and it's it's kind of expected, and it's part of the we talk about it all the time that what the league requires players to do. Um, and uh, he, he threw some good ones tonight in some good spots, and so throwing that throwing that fastball where he wants is 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 a big key to Devin for sure. 
doesn't seem like we've really even touched on it a lot, but just 14 appearances, 14 saves for Josh at this point. It's, it's pretty incredible stuff. Yeah, he's locked in. I mean, you, you could just, just tell the... You know, the bat to Demer was a great example of just, you know, he comes out of the pen and he, he throws four pitches exactly where he wants them um, at big velocity. Um, and there's there's just not a lot a hitter can do with those pitches. Uh, you, you can you can take a swing. You can know they're coming at that velocity where he's putting them in the strike zone. Really hard, really hard to hit. Anderson pretty much was matching Freddie pitch for pitch when the guy's doing that. You just got to take advantage of the, the breaks you get, right? He did a really good job against our left-handed hitters. His, his changeup was 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 really good to the left-handed hitters. Um, I, I don't I don't know that a left-handed hitter reached base uh, against him. I th- well, yeah, he got on the air, but um, he, the, the changeup was really good. Our, our, our right-handers had better at bats for sure, um, but we you know we, we we know what to expect from him. But that changeup's a good pitch. That's manager Craig Council speaking with the media just a little while ago. Brewers get a one nothing win over the Braves. How does it all go down? We'll tell you what the highlights. That's next here on WTMJ. Ready for this? Get up! This? Get up! And this? Get out of here! Go! Time for tonight's highlights. Here's Matt Foley. One nothing. Brewers get the win over the Braves. Starting pitching matchup. It's uh, Freddie Peralta going for the crew. Ian Anderson for the Braves. When Freddie Peralta has issues, a lot of times it comes in the first inning. He was able to get out of the first inning scoreless, but it was not easy. With two outs, Austin Riley gets a base hit, then a walk to Marcel Azuna. So runners on at first and second for Travis Darnell. Omar sitting down low and away, swinging a liner to a backhanded leaping stab by Jace Peterson. Oh, what a play in the opening inning. Peterson saves a run, and obviously that's a pretty big deal when we look at what happened in this game. Look like the Brewers might score in the bottom of the first inning with one out. Luis Arias gets a base hit. Then Christian Yelich reaches on an air. Runners on at first and second. And with two outs, Hunter Renfro walks. So the bases are loaded for Omar Narvaez. Anderson sets. Here it is. Swing and a pop-up. Made a good pitch on him. And it is going to be Dansby Swanson to make the catch. And he gets out of the jam. On that little pop-up by Narvaez. They leave the bases loaded. We move to the second. So each team had an opportunity to score in the first inning. Neither could do that. And at that point, both starting pitchers just really lock in. Freddie Peralta was just rolling along. We jump ahead to the fifth inning. Got Adam Duvall to strike out. Dansby Swanson to ground out. And then he's facing off against old friend Orlando Arcia. Here comes Freddie. Got him looking. And the inning is over. Struck him out with a blistering fastball at 96. He did that a lot today. Would throw a scoreless sixth. And then the bottom of the sixth inning, the Brewers get on the board. With one out, it's Hunter Renfro standing in. And I remember that swinging on a line drive down the left field line. And it is going to be Renfro in the second base with a standing double. And Omar Nervaez ground out, moves Renfro to third. And then with Tyrone Taylor at the plate, the Brewers receive a gift. Two in, two with two outs. Play him dead pull, three on the left side. In the dirt, it got by Darno. 
Sutton, Hunter Renfro, and it's 1-0 Milwaukee. So the Brewers take the lead, and we go to the seventh inning, and Freddie Peralta approaching 100 pitches back out. First battery faces Marcel Azuna. He strikes him out. Second battery faces in the seventh inning Travis Darno. He strikes him out as well. Gets 10 strikeouts on the day. His first double-digit strikeout performance of the year. And then with two outs in the seventh, the always dangerous Ozzie Albies at the plate. Two and two. Do it again. Peralta against Albies. The pitch. Fly ball. Right field. Renfro back at the warning track up against the wall. And he makes the catch. Seven scoreless innings for Freddie Peralta with 10 strikeouts. Before the dead in baseball, that may have turned it into a 1-1 game. Instead, it stays 1-0, and we move to the bottom of the seventh. Spencer Strider comes in to replace Ian Anderson. He throws up a zero, and we head to the eighth. Devin Williams, the new pitcher for the Brewers. He strikes out Adam Duvall. He strikes out Dansby Swanson. He faces Orlando Arcia. And the pitch. Hey, struck him out with a foul tip. Narvaez hangs on. It's another strikeout. He struck out the side. And then that brings on Josh Hader in the ninth inning. Well, you may have heard this before. Travis Dimitri strikes out. Matt Olson strikes out. Two outs, one nothing game, bottom of the ninth, and the Braves' last hope is Austin Riley. 25,000 plus saw a dandy tonight to pitch. Hey, struck him out swinging. And this one is over. Josh Hader strikes out the side. Six in order in the last two innings. Pretty impressive stuff as the Brewers get the one nothing victory with the win. The crew goes to 23 and 13. The Braves, they drop to 16 and 20. Winning totals for the Brewers. One run, five hits, no errors. They leave six for Atlanta. No runs, two hits, one error, and they leave three. Winning pitcher Freddie Peralta, he's three and one. Ian Anderson, the loss, he's three and two. Josh Hader, the save, his 14th save in as many appearances. The game lasting two hours and 31 minutes, played in front of a crowd of 25,880 folks here at American Family Field. Brewers get the one nothing win. We'll come back. We'll preview game two of the series, get you some scores from around baseball, and get out of here for the night. This is Brewers Extra Innings. This is Brewers Extra Innings with Matt Foley on WTMJ. The Brewers get the one nothing win tonight over the Braves to take game one of this three-game series. Brewers Extra Innings does continue here on WTMJ. A few fun notes from uh, this one. Most games in Brewers history with 10 or more strikeouts and two or less hits allowed, number one on that list is Brandon Woodruff. He's done it seven times, but Freddie Peralta now moves into second on that list. He has six. The only other uh, pitcher to do it more than three times is Corbin Burns. Burns has done it on five separate occasions. Also for the Brewers, this is the first time that they have won a one nothing game 
game where the one run scores on a wild pitch since they did it against the Yankees on the road back in August of 1990. So that is quite some time ago that uh, that, that last happened. For the Braves, it's the first time that they were shut out with uh, three or less base runners in Milwaukee since they were the home team in Milwaukee back in 1965 when they were playing a game against the San Francisco Giants and lost by a 2 nothing score. Um, and then, yeah, most um, most saves in the team's first 36 games. Josh Hader is third on that list, actually tied for second, excuse me. Francisco Cordero had 15 in 2007 in the first 36 games, and now Josh Hader and Francisco Rodriguez each have 14. Hader, 14 this year. Rodriguez, the 14 back in... Um, 2014. All right, uh, Brewers are going to uh, play game two of this series coming up tomorrow. The pitching matchup, we've got one half of it. Adrian Hauser is set to make the start for the crew. It's going to be a 6.40 first pitch tomorrow. That means coverage is going to begin at 6.05, and the Brewers will look to uh, take the series. If you remember when they played the Braves on this just recently completed road trip, they won game one, but then ended up losing game Two and three, so they'll be looking to secure a series victory if they can get the win coming up tomorrow. Again, Adrian Hauser on the mound, six forty first pitch. Coverage begins at six oh five, and then myself and Vinny Rotino will be back with you immediately following the game for Brewers extra innings here on WTMJ.